Barack Obama spent an outsized portion of his presidency lecturing Americans about illegal immigration. He unilaterally suspended prosecutions of a wide swath of illegal immigrants through his executive amnesty, meanwhile railing all about the evils of the Republicans. He ripped Donald Trump's supposed xenophobia over Trump's strict anti-illegal immigration proposals. But Obama and Democrats don't actually care about illegal immigrants. In fact, they would actually prefer that illegal immigrants retain that status so they can be used as a political sword against Republicans. The fact is on full display this morning. After a senior policy advisor to Obama said Obama would not confer a blanket pardon on illegal immigrants, Cecilia Munoz, who's a domestic policy advisor, she said, quote, I know that people are hoping for use of pardon authority as a way to protect people. It's ultimately not for a couple of reasons. One is that general pardon authority is generally designed for criminal violations, not civil. But it also doesn't confer legal status. Only Congress can do that. And so ultimately, it wouldn't protect a single soul from deportation. So it's not an answer here for this population. That, by the way, was also true of Obama's Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals and Deferred Action for Parents of Americans program, that's DACA and DAPA. They didn't grant citizenship or prevent future deportations. They merely stopped deportations here and now. Pardoning illegal immigrants would remove the legal pretext for deportation. Other crimes, such as fraud, if you're using a social security number that's false, that would still be prosecutable, but it might not be punishable with deportation. In fact, Obama could pardon those crimes as well, removing all legal grounds for prosecution. Now... This isn't making the case Obama should pardon illegal immigrants, of course. It would be the essence of lawlessness, a gross abuse of the executive power. But Obama hasn't typically cared about any of that in the past, including on illegal immigration. And that's the point. Obama doesn't want to protect illegal immigrants in any real way without giving them full voting rights. He wants them to be stuck in limbo so Democrats can claim they're victimized by evil Republicans. That's why Democrats did not push comprehensive immigration reform when they controlled both houses of Congress from 2008 to 2010. Stop with the routine in which Democrats are deeply concerned about illegal immigrants as anything but political tools. They simply aren't. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Tons to get to today here on The Ben Shapiro Show, and we'll get to it all. We have the mailbag coming up a little bit later. You have to subscribe to dailywire.com to become a part of the mailbag, but we have lots coming up in the mailbag, uh, plus uh, another epic things I hate. Lots of things to hate lately, which is, just makes me happy, I know. But first, we begin by saying hello to our advertisers over at Hint.com. Is Hint Water. So if you think that water is kind of boring, because it kind of is, if you are constantly looking for something that peps up the taste of water without adding the calories, Hint is the best way to go about doing that. Uh, we got bottles of, of Hint water, and they are really fantastic. It's It doesn't add any calories. It's all natural. It's organic. Uh, and it has just a taste of flavor. Uh, and it's really great. It's watermelon, peach, mango, grapefruit, and many more. And it's in I'm telling you, like I, I drink it, my wife drinks it, my my children drink it, uh, and they love it. It's it's it, it's very difficult to go back to regular water after you've had Hint, and that's not because it's all ridden with sugar or anything. It isn't. It's because it's really good. It's really refreshing. Uh, you can down a bottle of this stuff like nothing. And right now, if you go to drinkhint.com/ben, drinkhint.com/ben, then you get their normal pack, which is twenty four, which is twenty four bucks for only fifteen dollars. So you get it basically a third off, twenty four dollars to fifteen dollars. You get pineapple, watermelon, crisp apple, and blackberry. Uh, my personal favorite is I really like the blackberry. I think it's really good. Uh, so hint water is really good stuff. You're gonna want to check it out, and it is. Beware, it is addictive. I mean, once you, once you start drinking it, it's, it's difficult to stop drinking Hint Water. Excellent stuff. All righty. So we begin today with a continuation of a theme a little bit from yesterday. And that, of course, is this, this situation with, with Carrier. So one of the things that I've been preaching, and I'm going to continue to preach here, is that we need to call out Trump when he's wrong, and we need to compliment him when he's right. I know that my good friend Andrew Clavin doesn't feel the same way. I know Cla- Clavin and I had this conversation off air uh, just before the program. I was talking about this carrier deal, which I'll explain in just a minute and why I think it's a problem. Uh, and he was saying, yeah, but overall, Trump is doing a good job. I said, I may very well agree that overall, Trump is doing a pretty good job, but that doesn't require me to ignore when he does things that are bad. See, that argument that Trump overall is good, that's an election argument. That's an argument that he's going to be better than Hillary, for example. But Hillary's no longer in the picture. Now your obligation as a citizen is to make sure the president does as many things as you can get him to do that you want him to do, right? Your obligation is to hold him accountable when he does things that are wrong. That's my obligation as a citizen, too. It's not my obligation to sort of sign off and just say, oh, well, now he's been elected, he's popular, that means that he can do whatever he wants, and so long as he gives me more good than bad, I'm just going to shut up and and sit here. That's not my job. It's actually a non sequitur, okay? If you have a friend and your friend embezzles from you, and your wife comes to you and she says, you know, your friend just embezzled, and you say, yeah, but overall he's a good friend. 
That's a non sequitur. That doesn't deal with the main issue, which is that he just embezzled from you. You might want to address the embezzlement if you don't want future embezzlement. I would prefer to stop Donald Trump from ruining his presidency with bad policy than I would to just compliment him when he thinks that he does things that are bad. I think the carrier deal is bad. And let me explain why I think the carrier deal is bad. So the best way for me to explain why I think the carrier deal is bad is, number one, let me explain to you. Let me say, state the problem. The problem is not just that the Carrier deal is bad. For people who missed it, Carrier is an air conditioning and heating manufacturer located in Indiana. They were going to shift 1,000 jobs to Mexico, and, uh, and now they're not. And they say they're not going to basically because the state of Indiana offered them some tax incentives and also because Donald Trump threatened them. That's basically what it comes down to. Uh, according to the New York Times, or others from Politico, John Moots, a former Indiana lieutenant governor who sits on an agency board in Indiana, he told Politico Carrier turned down a previous offer from that that board before the election that offered all these tax incentives for Carrier to stay in Indiana. He said he thinks the choice is driven by concerns from Carrier's parent company, United Technologies, that it could lose a portion of its roughly $6.7 billion in federal contracts. So in other words, what happened here is that it cost Carrier something like $65 million to keep these jobs in Indiana. And so the question was, why would 4 or $5 million of tax incentives from Indiana keep those jobs there? And the answer is, they wouldn't, right? Pence offered this to Carrier before. That's crony capitalism in and of itself, but he offered it to them before. Carrier turned it down. Now Trump's elected, and suddenly they reversed themselves. They didn't reverse themselves because of Trump's regulatory and tax policy. That would be a good thing, right? That would be great. If Carrier said, listen, now the business climate is awesome, we're staying right here. That would be great. That would be good, Trump. But it's bad, Trump, if Trump goes to them and says, I'm threatening you. If you leave, then I am going to take all of this taxpayer money, and I'm not going to spend it with you. I'm going to spend even more taxpayer money with your competitor. Because here's the thing, right? The, these Every Defense Department technology contract, every Defense Department contract, by law, has to go through a bidding process. And that bidding process requires you to show that you can provide the best product for the cheapest. So that means that presumably, as the, if the law was obeyed, then the Defense Department contracts with United Technologies were the best contracts that were available. That's the whole goal of having a bidding process. Now Trump is saying, I know that was the best deal available, and it's still the best deal available, but screw that. I'm going to spend twice as much money on some other company just to punish United Technologies because I want my headline from them, and I want my headline right now. I want the headline that says that I saved 1,000 jobs so I can go around the country bragging about how I saved 1,000 jobs. This is called economic fascism. It is, and that's not, that's not linked in any way to, to fascism with regard to race or fascism with regard to religion. Economic fascism is an actual economic philosophy. It's called corporatism that believes that the federal government should pick winners and losers, and it originated in, in Italy uh, with, with Mussolini, this notion that the government should, should pick winners and losers, that basically corpor corporation and corporatism, they, all, they share the same root, and that root is corp. Right, corpse, corpse. Right, they're talking about a body. Right, the idea is that the entire economy is like a body, and the federal government, any government, should decide which parts of the economy should be which parts of the body. So you don't want you don't want three hands, you want two hands, and that means that the government is going to decide which two companies should be those two hands. This is very dangerous stuff. It's top-down government-run economics, and that always results in less useful economic development. It results in worse business deals. It results in spending more taxpayer money. It results in more regulation. None of this is good stuff. And just because Donald Trump got a good headline out of it doesn't make it a good thing. And just because you think that he got a good headline out of it because we want to keep jobs in America, and so he was doing the right thing to keep jobs in America, now we're going to flashback. Now we're going to flashback. Okay? Here's the flashback. The flashback is to 2009. Here's Barack Obama in 2009. This is February 2009, right after he's elected. And you're going to see Barack Obama do the exact same routine at Caterpillar. This is in Peoria, Illinois. It looks a lot younger, obviously. This is in 2009, February 2009, and conservatives ripped him a new one over this, as well they should have. Yesterday, Jim, the head of Caterpillar, said that if Congress passes our plan, this company will be able to rehire some of the folks who were just laid off. And that's a story I'm confident will be repeated at companies across the country. Companies that are currently struggling to borrow money, selling their products, struggling to make payroll, but could find themselves in a different position when we start implementing the plan. Rather than downsizing, they may be able to start growing again. Rather than cutting jobs, they may be able to create them again. That's the goal at the heart of this plan, to create jobs. And not just any jobs, not just make work jobs, but putting people to work, doing the work that America needs done, repairing our infrastructure, modernizing our schools and our hospitals, 
promoting there, okay. the- So that's Barack Obama circa February 2009 talking about how Caterpillar had pledged that they were going to keep the jobs there. Now, the CEO of Caterpillar came out very shortly after. He said, well, no, we never promised that we were going to do anything like that. Uh, but the headline was already out. Obama had already claimed that Caterpillar was going to save all these jobs because of his stimulus package, right? And conservatives rightly went nuts. In 2013, in Obama's State of the Union address, he name-checked Caterpillar, and he said, look at all the jobs that I personally have saved by using the federal government as this cram-down mechanism by threatening people and cajoling people and giving them special stimulus packages. Look at all the jobs that I've saved, including at places like Caterpillar. Our first priority is making America a magnet for new jobs in manufacturing. After shedding jobs for more than 10 years, our manufacturers have added about 500,000 jobs over the past three. Caterpillar is bringing jobs back from Japan. Ford is bringing jobs back from Mexico. And this year, Apple will start making Macs in America again. There are things we can do. But then he would go on to suggest that we use the Department of Defense, you may notice similarity, use the Department of Defense to create programs to fund all of these places to continue to keep jobs in America. And it was bad when this happened because, number one, he wasn't telling the truth. You don't create jobs in America by redistributing income from taxpayers to companies. You don't create jobs in America by giving special tax incentives to companies that would be more productive elsewhere. That's not how you create jobs. The way that you create jobs in America is by removing taxes and removing regulations. And not removing taxes for one company, removing taxes for all companies. Otherwise, you are just granting special favors to one company at the expense of a competitor. Carrier is not the only air conditioner and heating manufacturer in the United States. And when you grant them special tax incentives, sure, you might save the 1,000 jobs there, but how about all the people who have to pay the extra money for the stimulus? How about all the people who are competing with Carrier, who are gaining jobs because they're doing a better job than Carrier and building up their own jobs base, and now they're screwed because they have to cut workers because they can't compete with Carrier, which is getting a thumb on the scale from the federal government. Right? Nobody wants to look at the, the unintended consequences of government interventionism because it's too easy to see that specific headline, Carrier Saves 1,000 Jobs in Indiana. But how is the question. Not what happened. How did it happen? The essence of fascism lies in somebody saying, I did it. It happened. It's happened. The fight against fascism relies on you saying, okay, I need to know how and whether that was good. Fascism relies on people saying, the sausage has been created. Here is the sausage. The essence of republicanism, small r republicanism, the essence of democracy, is you saying, how did the sausage get made and was that legitimate? Right? That is you being a good citizen. And so it's not being a bad citizen to ask how this happened and whether it's a good thing. It's not being anti-American to make sure that the methods that were used to do this were good and not bad. And by the way, you have to extend the logic out. Paul Krugman, who is an idiot on economics, except for some trade theory, Paul Krugman, when he, when he looked at this this morning, he says, well, Barack Obama created you know, more jobs than this. You'd have to do what, what Trump did. You'd have to do that every day, for every week for the next 30 years in order to save the number of jobs that Obama saved in the auto bailouts. And to a certain extent, he's right. If you believe that stimulus, if you believe that special incentives, if you believe special giveaways save jobs, then why not just blow it up? And that's actually Trump's plan. He talks about $1 trillion infrastructure plan, which is just another boondoggle. These infrastructure plans are boondoggles. This is populism. It's not conservatism. It's not conservatism. It has nothing to do with conservatism. And in a little while, I want to talk about a Stephen Moore piece that is really egregious here. But I just want to show you how far we've come. Here is Sean Hannity and Ann Coulter, circa 2009, ripping on President Obama, saying he's going to keep American jobs in America by granting stimulus. Discovered what was actually in this bill. Yep. They were rejecting it in droves. So, yes. so what I yes. don't understand, with all the bad nominees and the tax cheats and closing down mm-hmm. Gitmo and weakening our defenses, Barack Obama in a little over two weeks was, as Victor Davis Hansen said, on the verge of an implosion. Why would the right. Republicans right. That- help him bail him I'm out not- here? And that's why he went on TV and started claiming we were going to go in the Great Depression if we didn't pass this massive socialist bill. Um, I, I, I am, as once again, awed by the wisdom of the American people. A week ago, this bill had like 80% support. As of today, it's 37% support. And I don't think anybody's read the whole bill. It's twice the size of War and Peace. But people just find out more and more what is in this bill, and support for it is collapsing. So Obama got there. So you got Ann saying, rightly, about the stimulus bill, the more we find out about it, the more we don't like it. And now today, we have people saying, we don't need to know what Trump did. What does it matter what was in this deal? Why does it matter? 
Does it really matter at all? There's a, and that's, that's sort of what Stephen Moore says today. Stephen Moore has this amazing piece at National Review. Stephen Moore is an economist uh, for the Wall Street Journal, a very free market guy, supposedly. And, uh, and he had a piece today at National Review in which he said that the era of Reagan is over, and it's worth going through here a little bit. But in order for you to see me go through it, and I think it's important, you need to go to dailywire.com and subscribe. You need to go there and subscribe right now over at dailywire.com. $8 a month will get you access to dailywire.com. Plus, if you get an annual subscription, then you get a free, co- free signed copy of my book. You get access to the mailbag. We're doing the mailbag today, which is awesome. We're adding, a, a, we're adding I'll tell you off the record. But it's on the record. But it's in, I'll tell you that we're, we're going to be adding uh, a store to the, to the site in the next couple of months, and you get massive discounts from that if you're a subscriber. DailyWire.com is the place to go for all of this to join us at the largest conservative podcast in America. Before we go any further, I need to say hello to our sponsors at Birch Gold as well. So obviously, if you are looking at the, the economic situation of the country and feeling a little disquieted, if you think that stocks are overvalued, real estate's overvalued, uh, and you want to just hedge, even if you think things are going in the right direction, but you just want to hedge, then you need to invest in gold. And the way to do that is talk to my friends over at birchgoldgroup.com. Well, it's Birch Gold Group, and then their, their website is birchgold.com slash Ben, birchgold.com slash Ben. They can help you move your money from an IRA or a 401k into precious metals without tax consequences, uh, and they are the experts in doing that. It's, uh, it's important that you have at least partial diversification into things like precious metals so you're not totally uh, reliant on the, on the vagaries of the federal government. Uh, and investing in gold and other precious metals helps you do that. Birchgold.com slash Ben. Okay, so back to this, this theme, which is a lot of conservatives pretending that now crony capitalist deals, pretending that now backroom deals where the federal government is now threatening companies, it's okay because Trump is doing that. Stephen Moore has this piece in National Review, and he had visited Republicans on the Hill. We mentioned this briefly uh, last week, and he said, quote, just as Reagan converted the GOP into a conservative party with his victory this year, Trump has converted the GOP into a populist America first party. And then he continued, This is 2016, not 1986. The world is a different place. The concerns and priorities of the American people are different today from what they were 30 years ago. The voters spoke with a thunderclap. Trump squashed his 16 GOP rivals, a group that was touted as the most talented field of contenders in modern history, as if they were bugs crashing into his windshield. Republican voters opted for his new breed of economic populism. A realignment occurred while all the highfalutin intellectuals and political consultants were napping. So yes, this means we have awoken to a new party. They'll be a lot tougher on illegal immigration, a lot more skeptical of lopsided trade deals, a lot warier of foreign entanglements, more prone to spend on infrastructure. I don't approve of all of these shifts, but they are what the voters voted for. And this is the attitude that I'm seeing arising in a large part of the conservative movement, and this is what I'm warning against, okay? Truth does not become untruth just because untruth is popular. Okay, Truth does not become untruth just be, as if, if, if an untruth is popular. Okay, it, it, Reagan's perspective on economics was right. Donald Trump's perspective on economics is not correct. They, they agree on taxes, but the idea that Donald Trump is going to shut down trade or that he's going to engage in this crony capitalist top-down picking winners and losers so he can get a few headlines, yes, that will make him popular. But making him popular is not my goal in life. It shouldn't be your goal in life either. He should be popular because he's doing the right things. You know, this idea that it's important that Donald Trump be popular, it's only important that Donald Trump be popular if he's popular for doing things that are good. We've had lots of popular presidents in the past who did truly remarkably horrible things. FDR interned the Japanese and he was popular. Did that make interning the Japanese a wonderful idea? No, it didn't. This, this sort of foolishness, this, this identification of victory with principle is really dangerous. First of all, having, my, having Stephen Moore talk about the highfalutin intellectuals who just don't get it, Stephen Moore has spent his entire career in Washington, D.C. and New York writing for the Wall Street Journal. Okay, if I, highfalutin intellectual, look it up in the dictionary. There's a picture of Stephen Moore. Now he travels the road with Donald Trump and goes to a couple of rallies in Ohio, and suddenly he's lonesome roads pandering to the common man. Now he's a regular crackle, Cracker Barrel customer. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But the broader argument that Trump is so wildly popular that now you have to just give in to anything he does— it's not even logical. Okay, Obama was way more popular than Trump in both election cycles, and Moore didn't say, well, you know, it looks like the people want redistribution, socialism, and Obamacare. Guess we'll go along with that. The argument that, that Trump's popularity translates into the entire Republican Party must now sign off on anything he does, that's stupid. We didn't even believe that about Bush. In fact, we didn't even believe that about Reagan. I criticized George W. Bush's steel tariffs because they were bad policy, and they were an attempt to do exactly what Trump is doing right now. 
It is also worth noting that this, this talk about how Trump has won this sweeping national victory and it blew away all of his competitors like they were bugs on the windshield. No, he won the lowest percentage of the, of the vote in the, in the primaries of any Republican since 1968. And that was Reagan who won the most votes in the 1968 primaries. He still lost the nomination, by the way. So you really have to go all the way back to 1964 with Barry Goldwater. But this idea, again, it's uh, that he's so popular, he is all-powerful, strong like bull, strong like bull Trump. And therefore, you have to cave to anything he says. It's just, it's not conservative. It's really silly. Again, the idea that concerns now are different than they were in 1986 is not true. People don't want manufacturing leaving now. They didn't want manufacturing leaving then. Trump, uh, Reaganism doesn't need a modernization. All that needs to happen is people need to understand how basic economics works. Okay, consensual exchange of goods and services does not become a bad thing just because your voting base thinks it's bad. And that's, that's the problem. There's another piece in McClatchy.com today that's pointing out that, quote, as a candidate, Donald Trump promised to drain the swamp in Washington. Now that he's been elected and is embracing part of that very establishment, Democrats and many in the media are slamming him as a typical politician who abandoned a principle as soon as it suited him. But when McClatchy checked in with several dozen voters in central Pennsylvania to see how they defined the swamp, most didn't really care. Instead, they said it's fine with them if he uses the expertise of a D.C. establishment of lobbyists, donors, and special interests to get his way and their way. This is not conservatism. This is not decency. Government power does not become better. It does not become more moral because you're getting what you want. And yet that seems to be the trap in which we are falling. And that is, is seriously troublesome. Uh, for example, Breitbart is pushing this story very hard. Uh, Fox News was pushing this very hard this morning. Uh, there's, a, there's a carrier employee, career Democrat, who's on with Steve Ducey, and here he is praising Donald Trump and the crony capitalist deal that he just cut uh, with, with Carrier and, and the attempt to leverage Carrier into keeping jobs in Indiana. By the way, it's worth noting, you know, I mentioned Caterpillar before, and, and Obama was lying when he said Caterpillar kept jobs in the United States. Carrier is also fibbing a little bit. They have a second factory in Indiana. It has 700 jobs. Guess where those jobs are moving this year? That's right. They're moving to Mexico. So they kept 1,000 jobs here, but 700 of them are still leaving. Trump just wanted his headline. Here is the carrier employee that everybody is promoting. Gateway Pundit is over the moon about this. Here, here is the, the employee. I would like to tell him thank you for uh, going out of your way and taking your uh, holiday uh, away from your family and uh, working on the carrier and employees deal and uh, sticking to your word and going to bat for all of us at carrier and, and keeping our jobs here. And I'd like to thank him and Mike Pence for doing it so quickly. I, I didn't expect an announcement probably for three or four weeks. And we're, what, two days from them meeting with them, and they've already made their announcement. So I'm very ex excited about it and would like to thank both of them uh, personally and uh, shake their hands hopefully tomorrow. And uh, I'm sure this guy is happy. Look, I mean, his job is still staying in Indiana. But what happens in economics, it's very easy to find people who benefit from any government program or any government deal. It's very hard to find the disparate people who don't benefit. Right? Nobody's going to be interviewing the competitor to Carrier who just got jobbed on this. Nobody's going to be, nobody is going to be interviewing the Defense Department dollars that were, that were threatened here. Nobody's going to be interviewing the, the people whose dollars you know, could have gone toward, toward better products. Nobody's going to be interviewing any of those things, right? Nobody's going to be interviewing the companies that now feel like they're under threat from Trump because if they don't do what Trump wants, then Trump is going to smack them with, with a threat to remove federal contracts so they can have his latest headline. You, you should be thinking that you did something wrong when Sank Ogyar, Oigar, Sank Chank, yeah, the guy from Young Turks, that's how we'll call him, when he, when he is celebrating the Donald Trump deal, maybe you should be thinking twice about why a Bernie Sanders supporter is so happy with it. But Obama wouldn't have done that. He just, that's not who he is. He's not that guy. And in, in this case, it's an absolute fact, because Obama's president right now. If he wanted, he could have pressured Carrier, but he didn't pressure Carrier. He didn't pressure United Technologies, and he didn't threaten to take away their government contracts, because he's not that strong. And he always thinks his default mode is, oh, there's nothing we could do. Oh, there's nothing we could do. Oh, no, 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 you, you guys don't understand. There are consequences to that. No, I do understand. What I'm asking you to do is risk those consequences to protect American workers. And you didn't do it. And now Trump did it. Right. There's Chank praising Trump because of what Trump just did. Now, you might want to have second thoughts. Chank is a Bernie Sanders supporter. Okay, If he likes what Trump just did, Chank is an economic fascist. He's a corporatist. He's all happy. He's all happy. Maybe he's happy because what just happened has nothing to do with limited government 
or protection of rights and everything to do with a very powerful political figure leveraging the power of the federal government in order to get himself a good headline to make himself more popular. Now, a lot of people say, well, you know, this is politics. Politicians do this all the time. That's true. It doesn't make it good. It doesn't make it good. And again, just because you think Trump is doing more good than bad doesn't mean you can't call him out when he does things that are bad. Just because Trump is doing more bad than good the other way, if you think that's the case, doesn't mean you can't compliment him when he's doing something good. But we keep falling into this trap of, well, I'm going to ignore the bad when he does it because I just want to feel good about him. And that's, that's foolishness. That's foolishness. And it's actually counterproductive because if you want him to do good things and have a good presidency, you should call him out when he pursues policies that obviously could have been pursued by anyone and were anybody up to and including Barack Obama. But again, I think this is, this is the mistake is that there's a lot of people who actually don't care about things like rights and duties, things like restricted, restricted government or how the system ought to work, things like protecting themselves from the government. So long as the government does what they want, everybody's a little fascist on the inside so long as the fascist in charge is somebody who helps them. Mike Pence, who I actually like, right, the governor of Indiana, the, the, he's the governor, the vice president-elect, he's the governor of Indiana trying to cram this deal down on Carrier. He says now, buckle up, we're going to get things done. Uh, you know, my, my, my word when I went to Capitol Hill is I talked to members of Congress as I said, buckle up. It's not just going to be a busy 100 days, Sean. It's going to be a busy 200 days. I mean, what, what, you, have, what you have in our president-elect, and you've known him for a long time, a lot longer than I have. Mm -hmm. This is a man of, of, of boundless energy and creativity, and, um, uh, and he, he is absolutely determined to move that agenda forward and move it forward quickly. Okay, so he's very, he wants to move an agenda, but what the agenda is matters, not just action on your behalf. Jeffrey Lord has been a, a spokesperson for, for Trump. Uh, he's been a, a, a person who speaks on Trump's behalf, a surrogate for Trump. He's on CNN. Listen to what Jeffrey Lord has to say about what Trump just did. One of the things that I think happens here, Aaron, it's my understanding that Apple is reconsidering some of their moves on this kind of thing. And I don't know that he's well, ever... He has a big tax heavy to throw out. Right, 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 right. But what my point is, I don't know that he's called yeah. Apple. My point is, is that when you start doing this, other people are going to say, I'm not sure I want to call from the President of the United States. I think I'd rather do this on my own. I think it's the exact opposite. Yeah, I think they yeah. do want to call from the President of the United States because they, they know they can negotiate to get a better right. deal than they can get otherwise. Right. This is encouraging... Blackmail. It's encouraging economic blackmail oh, from companies no, all across... No, it is, no. from companies no. all across... It, it, just says, is economic blackmail? And he's like, no, no, but that is economic blackmail. I don't know who this guy is who's talking to him, but, he, but he's actually correct. Jeffrey Lord says, all these companies say, I don't want to call from the president. Okay, imagine the president were Obama. And Obama said, we're going to remove federal contracts from a company that does X, Y, and Z. All of a sudden, all these companies start complying. Wouldn't we say that's the federal government threatening them? Again, I don't understand. How is it the government's role? How is it the president of the United States' role to threaten companies? How is it their role to do that? When Barack Obama did this, we were angry about it. When Barack Obama threatened the banks and said that he's the only thing that stood between them and the pitchforks and then got them to do what he wanted, we were angry. When he threatened the health insurance companies, that he was basically going to bankrupt them unless they gave him what he wanted, we were angry. And we should have been angry. And we should still be angry when this sort of stuff happens. We shouldn't be celebrating along with Jeffrey Lord, who should know better, that companies are saying, well, I guess we'll change our business policies. We don't get an angry call from the president. This isn't a dictatorship. Companies should be making decisions based on what is in the interest of the consumers, based on what is in the interest of the stockholders, based on what is most economically viable, not based on threats from the president of the United States and the federal government. That's not a good thing. And the other guy, by the way, is correct that on the other hand, now it's possible that there are going to be a lot of companies that say, okay, well, I'm just going to say to Trump, I'm ready to move 2,000 jobs down to Mexico. What are you going to give me? What are you going to pay me to make me stay? And then you can get yourself a nice headline. It's just a recipe for disaster. It just is. And again, let's be real about this. The vast majority of job change in the United States is not due to foreign trade. It is not due to Mexico and China. It is not due to any of that. It's not that all these jobs are being sucked down to Mexico. If Mexico were having this great economic revival, why is everyone fleeing north? If China were having this great economic revival, why have they had two separate stock market crashes in the last year? The real reason that the nature of jobs have shifted in the United States is really because of technology. Ben Sass, the senator from Nebraska, he tweeted this earlier, and here's what he tweeted, and this is, this is basically right. He tweeted about job change in the United States. He said, in thinking about manufacturing job change, consider the history of agriculture. In 1790, 90% of workers in America were farmers. 1840, 69%. 1938%. 1968%. 1980s, 3%. There can be a lot of people who look at that and they say, well, what happened to all those farmers? I mean, didn't they get job by foreign trade? 
Didn't they get jobbed by technology? No, they went into other industries. It's why we change it. I mean, there were no computer workers in the United States in 1950. The fact is, the reason you have better stuff, cooler stuff, the reason you live better than rich people did in 1940, the reason that you live better than those people is because of free market economics. Free market economics generates better products for lower prices because it is allowed to operate without the federal government threatening people that they have to continue engaging in economically backward practices in order to please a particular political constituency. And when you have the federal government doing that, you end up with worse products at higher prices, but at least you have your voting base over here. And that's dangerous. That's dangerous stuff. Okay, so meanwhile, uh, one of the other things that, that I find very odd about this whole thing is that it's, th- there's this attitudinal thing that has now happened with, all of the, with, uh, with a lot of the Trump surrogates, and that is they think that their guy is, is all about fighting elitism, that Donald Trump is, is about fighting elitism. They're very angry, a lot of these people, about Romney. They think Romney's an elitist, but Trump isn't. Okay, Trump, of course, is an elitist. Watch Newt Gingrich slam Mitt Romney for being an elitist. They're, they're, it's, it, again, this is all an attitudinal thing. And the fact is that Trump's policies are either good or bad. But what a lot of people like Gingrich and Huckabee are trying to do is they're trying to claim that the real sin, the the, the real sin here, the real swamp is not policy. The real swamp is not policy. The real negative isn't policy. The real negative isn't a big government. The real negative is that you're snooty. And that's what they're trying to do. They're They're trying to prey on voters by saying that it's the snooty people you have to watch out for. Here's Newt Gingrich doing that routine. What about Romney? Romney gave some very magnanimous comments yesterday coming out of that uh, dinner. Uh, he had a press conference basically at Trump Tower. He, he praised the – yeah, he praised the picks so far in the cabinet. A lot of them are friends of his. Uh, he said his conversations a, with there's, Trump there's – a scene, there's, a scene there's a scene in Pretty Women where Richard Gere goes up to the salesman on Rodeo Drive and says, we need a little sucking up here. Okay. <laughs> You have never, ever in your career seen a serious adult who's wealthy, independent, has been a presidential nominee, suck up at the rate that Mitt Romney is sucking up. I mean, I am confident that he thinks now that Donald Trump is one of his closest friends, that they have so many things in common, uh, that they're both such wise, brilliant people. Uh, and, that, and I'm sure last night at an elegant three-star restaurant in New York that Mitt was fully at home happy to share his vision of populism, which involved a little foie gras, a certain amount of you know, superb cooking, <clears throat> but was done in a populist, happy manner. Okay, so, so you hear you have, oh, well, real populists, they don't need a foie gras. Okay, first of all, you know where that restaurant was that they were eating the other night, where I showed the pictures? That was in Trump Tower. Trump owns the building that restaurant, <laughs> that restaurant rents from. Okay, Mitt, Newt Gingrich earns millions of dollars a year from being a member of the swamp, and I promise you, he is not foreign to foie gras. Laura Ingram, the faux populist he's talking to, I know how much money Laura Ingram was making. Okay, Laura Ingram was making millions and millions of dollars a year, and she lives directly in the Acela Corridor. He said, it's all these people pretending that they're Ohio backwater people, you know, Ohio factory workers, when in reality, these are the elites. These are the elites, but they're trying to create the sense that anybody who opposes them, those are the real elites. Don't, it's, not, it's not that we have elitist policies, it's that they have elitist attitudes. They have elitist attitudes. I promise you, all the people who are just talking in that clip are significantly richer than I am. A lot richer than I am. I do fine, but they, they're a lot richer than I am. And the idea that they are the representatives of the common man based on Mitt Romney has a, is, is eating foie gras, again, at Donald Trump's restaurant, is really quite remarkable. Mike Huckabee did the same thing. Again, Mike Huckabee's making all his money doing the same routine. Okay, Mitt Romney, the dinner last night, I know you're not a fan. However, do you see well, yourself it's, it's changing your so mind? Much a personal, no, it's not a personal feeling, but I did note, Bill, and I don't know if your cameras picked it up, you saw the little clip, but both Reince Priebus and uh, Donald Trump were having filet, on Mitt Romney's plate, there was a big, big slice of crow. And so I didn't know if you could catch that or not. Look, the irony here is that it's not so much about the relationship that Donald Trump has with Mitt Romney. It's the relationship that Mitt Romney has with the voters who elected Donald Trump. Because Mitt Romney said that they were a bunch of suckers to follow him. So at some point, Mitt Romney has to address that. Because I think that the, the outrage that's being expressed among many Trump supporters is that it wasn't that Romney just dissed uh, Donald Trump, but that he really took a, a swipe and spoke contemptuously of the people who made Donald Trump the president of the United States. Well, I pick- 
Okay, so again, he's, he's ripping him. Oh, he looks down on the voters. This is not even true. Okay, Romney's entire speech about Trump was about Trump. It wasn't about the voters. And the fact is that, of course, Romney thought that the voters did the wrong thing in the primaries. A lot of us did. That doesn't mean that we think that the voters are rubes or stupid or any of the rest of it. But it's this whole attempt to identify with the common man by claiming that anyone who opposes Trump's policy is an enemy of the common man. Now, maybe I'm just an enemy of Trump's policies when he does the wrong thing. When he does the right thing, I will be more than happy to compliment him. I want him to do the right thing. I want him to have a good presidency. I don't want him to do lefty things. I don't want him to spend a trillion dollars on stupid infrastructure boondoggles, and I'm not going to cheer it just because he's slapping a T on it instead of an O. It's really, really irritating, okay? Again, I'm just looking for a little bit of intellectual honesty and consistency here. Here's Jake Tapper. Like Jake Tapper was talking with uh, with one of Donald Trump's spokespeople, Jason Miller, uh, and he and he asked him about the fact that Donald Trump is picking a lot of insiders. He's, he has three Goldman Sachs people now under consideration. Two of them have already been picked. Uh, there's a third, the, the actual head of Goldman Sachs, the COO, who's being considered for Office of Management and Budget. And Tapper asked Miller about it. But Jason, I, I guess the point is Goldman Sachs was cast by your campaign as the bad guy, the people who robbed the middle class, and now you are putting a lot of these same types of people, a former Goldman Sachs executive, uh, a turnaround specialist, an investment banker, you're putting them in charge of the economy. What is your message? Forget spinning or messages or whatever to me. What's your message to a person out there on the street who voted for Mr. Trump thinking, you know, he understands that Goldman Sachs is a bad guy, What's your message to him when they say, hey, what are you doing? You're putting all the same characters. You're putting, you know, it's a whole just, you didn't, you're not draining the swamp. You're just putting a whole bunch of critters in it. Uh, Jake, I couldn't disagree more. What we're going to tell them is the same folks that help craft the president-elect's tax plan uh, have taken that message of economic populism. The same people who helped craft the president-elect's trade plan as far as we start putting together deals to actually help American workers. The exact same people stop it who there. Help- And the reason we can stop it there is because now he's arguing the reverse of Gingrich, right? So Gingrich was arguing the policy doesn't matter. It's the attitude about foie gras. And now Jason Miller is arguing it's not the foie gras that matters. It's the attitude about policy. Pick one. Okay, pick one. I prefer Miller's attitude, which is the policy. So let's argue on a policy basis, not on a a phony Washington, D.C. I'm actually down home and I like to eat at the Cracker Barrel routine. That's a bunch of crap. Uh, But again, in the end, we're going to judge the policy based on the content of the policy, not the name of the person who's slapping their, their brand on it. And, and this, is, this is so important. It's so important. And trying to draw false distinctions is a big mistake. It is. I'm sorry. If you use the federal government to cram down a deal on a private company that they didn't want to make, that is economic fascism, and I don't care who the fascist is. Okay, that's a, that's, it's just, just because you like what the fascist does doesn't make it not fascist. Hey, this is, it's, it's a little, uh, again, a little consistency, just a little bit. Would that be too much to ask? Let's all be consistent here. Okay, if we want the swamp drained, let's actually drain the swamp. If we want a freer country, let's fight for a freer country. If we want free market economics, let's fight for a freer market. But this sort of populism that they're appealing to, what that really is code for is we're going to use the government to please our voting base. And I thought that's something that leftists and Democrats did. Okay, time for some things I like, then some things I hate in mailbag. So things I like. Um, I don't think I've done this book before. This is a really good book on economics for people who wonder about economic fascism and socialism uh, and capitalism. The book is The Commanding Heights by Daniel Jurgen and Joseph Stanislaw. Uh, it is a very, very good book. Uh, there's also a series they did on PBS that is, that is wonderful uh, based on this, and it's about how over the course of the 20th century, the new idea of socialism faded in favor of capitalism and why that happened and why it is that the, the economic change sought by socialists and economic fascists ends up petering out. Uh, it's, it's more relevant now than it was when it was written. I think it came out in 1998. Still highly relevant. The Commanding Heights by Daniel Jurgen and Joseph Slanislaw, uh, really, good, um, really good history of economics of the 20th century. Okay, time for some things I hate. So you want to talk about people who look down their nose at other people, who look down their nose at voters. Uh, this is uh, CNN. CNN did a, an interview with a bunch of Trump supporters asking them why they were so concerned about voter fraud. And then they were all chortling over this. Uh, here is uh, CNN, and, uh, and they're just ripping into Trump voters. 19. You need to be legal, not like California, where three million illegals voted. Let's talk about that. I'm glad I brought that up, Allison. Me too, Paula. <laughs> So where are you getting your information? From the media. Where well, else are we get? Some of it was CNN, I believe. CNN said that 3 million illegal people voted well, in Well, it was coming California. all across the media. 
Well, of course, with CNN didn't do it, then they were being smart this time. Do you think that three million illegal people I voted? I believe in California that there were illegals that voted. How many? I don't. To tell you the truth, nobody really knows that number. But, but do you think three dozen or do you think three million? I think there was a good amount because the president told people that they could vote and it happened in Nashua. We caught some people yeah. that they went into Nashua and they said, the president said I can vote. I'm here illegally. Did you hear President Obama say that illegal people could vote? Yes, yes. I did. I, 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 I heard it this morning, morning actually. Yes, I did hear it. Tell me, where? On, on, uh, you can find it. Google it. You can find it on Facebook. All right. Hold on. I don't want to waste any more time, but anyway, I see where it came from, and it's uh, Fox Business Network deceptively edited a clip of Barack Obama to argue that the president encouraged illegal immigrants to vote when, in fact, he had said nothing of the sort when you go back to the transcript. You, as you sit here today, think that millions of illegal people voted in this country. You believe that there was widespread voting abuse. I think there was in some states. In and the millions of people? I, California allows it. People they do not vote. allow illegal. You mean illegal? You mean voter fraud? California allows. I believe there is voter fraud in this country. Okay, so what's happening right here? And, and so CNN, look at these idiots. They believe all these idiotic things that aren't true. Oh my God! First of all, you can do this stupid voter segment with people from any side of the political aisle. Jimmy Kimmel does it regularly on his program, right? He goes out to the street and then he has people endorse the dumbest policies you could possibly imagine. It really is not difficult. Most people are politically ignorant. Second thing that's happening here is that yes, people buy into news that they have seen spun. So when she's talking about Obama encouraged illegals to vote. That's not correct. What he actually said is he was talking about the he was talking to an illegal immigrant and he said, you're speaking for family members, friends, classmates of yours in school who may not have a voice who can't legally vote. He's saying to legal voters, you can vote on behalf of those people, meaning that your vote matters to them. OK, that's not what how it was played, but that's essentially what he said. And as far as the millions of illegal votes, you know, Trump buys into this, too. But the response from the media, which is that it doesn't occur at all right now, you've created a binary. Instead of just saying, I'm sure there is some illegal voting, but we have to determine how much there is, and it probably is not hundreds of thousands, it probably is tens of thousands at most, and that would be a very high estimate. You know, instead of doing that, the media go to, well, there's no voter fraud at all. And then people go, well, I know there's voter fraud. I've seen stories about voter fraud. Of course there's voter fraud. And then when someone says millions of people were engaging in voter fraud, it's easy for people to fall for that. But again, this is more about CNN trying to claim that, that Trump voters are morons than it is about them trying to get to the truth or convey the truth. And that's just idiocy. That's just idiocy. You want to keep losing elections, leftists? Keep doing that. Keep claiming that all the voters are morons who don't agree with you, but your own voters are all brilliant geniuses who dropped out of Harvard so that they could get a scholarship at Juilliard. Okay, it's, it's just, it's, it's not true. Okay, other things that I hate. So, yesterday we discussed at length the fact that, that BuzzFeed was going after this, uh, the Gaines family, these people on HGTV, for having the temerity to believe in this little book we like to call the Bible. Well, now it turns out that the left is basically okay with businesses that discriminate against people, so long as they're discriminating against conservatives. Here is a fashion designer, Tom Ford, uh, being asked about whether he would design clothing for Melania Trump on The View, the worst show in the history of television. We have a new first lady, Melania Trump. She's yes. quite beautiful, and she's thin. Yes. She's going to look great in the clothes, no? Uh, I don't know. I was asked to dress her quite a few years ago, and uh, I declined. Why? Um, well, uh, she's not necessarily my uh, image. And, uh, you know, also the First Lady, other than the fact that I'm a, a Democrat and voted for Hillary, and I'm very sad and disappointed that she's not uh, in office. Um, but other than that, you know, even had Hillary won, she shouldn't be wearing my clothes. They're too expensive. Uh, and, and I don't mean that in a bad way, and they're not artificially yeah. expensive. They, it's how much it costs to make these things. But I think to relate to uh, yeah, everybody. Yeah. But Michelle you, you Obama, she wore expensive clothes. Michelle I dressed once when she was going to Buckingham Palace oh. uh, mm -hmm. for dinner with the Queen. <laughs> and that I thought it was appropriate. I live in London, and so that, that made sense. I see. And it was so, an honor. I see. So, okay, so it's okay. So he's allowed to say no Melania, but yes, Michelle. All right. So it's amazing how the leftist tolerance for I'm not going to dress Melania Trump extends pretty far. The leftist tolerance for... I believe in the Bible, and it doesn't even affect my behavior with regard to how I treat gay people. That's a step too far for them. Okay, final thing that I hate. Uh, there's an exchange between Trevor Noah and Tommy Lahren that's been getting all sorts of attention. Uh, Tommy Lahren, of course, is, uh, is on The Blaze, and I've been on her show before. And Tommy seems like a nice enough gal. She seems like a, a nice bright gal, and she, she's with Trevor Noah, uh, and, uh, and this thing goes wildly sideways. Quick question. Like, why are you so angry? 
I'm actually not that angry. It's just there's things that need to be said, Trevor, and a lot of people are afraid to in say a, them. In an angry way. Can we stop it for one second? So first thing I should say here, if you are ever asked to go on a show like Trevor Noah's, the first thing you need to do is demand that it be done live. It is a huge mistake to do these things taped because they slice it and they dice it. They did it to Jonah Goldberg. I have a feeling they did it to Tommy Lahren as well. That is really stupid. Uh, but beyond that, notice what, what this is how leftists interview. And so I'm going to use this as a little bit of a, of a clinical course in how you should do these interviews. Uh, Trevor Noah said, he played a clip of Tommy Lahren, very upset about some issue. And then he says, why are you so angry? Okay, there's no good answer to that, right? What she should, the, only way, the only thing she should have said is, well, you seem pretty angry sometimes, Trevor. You seem pretty upset sometimes. I've watched your show. Why are you so angry? You seem like a pretty pissed off guy. Do you have some problems at home? Right? Because it's not a question, right? It's an accusation. You're an angry person. That's why you disagree with because you're an angry person. That's the only possible comeback. Instead, she goes on defensive and she starts trying to defend herself. I mean, you can't say you're not angry and, I mean, this is, this is what you're known for. It's a strange thing to say, I'm not angry, but that is the one thing. It's like Ellen saying, I don't like dancing. It's like, yeah, you do, Ellen. You do. <laughs> We shouldn't be against people who are doing business in the world, but the same but man is saying business shouldn't be done in the world. Make it impossible to do so. He said that on countless occasions. Trevor, he said it. He said, you know what? I, as a businessman, I took advantage of it. Make it impossible for me to do so. Bring the jobs out. We already saw it with Carrier. He's already making moves. He's not even in there yet. You know, what was Obama able to do? Ramrod Obamacare and look at how fantastically that's turning out. And Donald Trump is the same person who's going to keep Obamacare because he's shown no, no. that he can't get rid of no. it. You so can't get rid of it. Cannot, you Remove Hillary out of it, because it's not one of those questions where a person needs to pivot. Just as Donald Trump, what did that moment mean to you, hearing the things he said about how he makes moves on women and so on? You know, I did an entire final thoughts on that, and I was very clear. Now, at that time, it was between Hillary and Donald, so I'm comparing Donald Trump to Hillary Clinton, not the Pope and not God. So for me, what he said, though I found it inappropriate, and, and quite frankly, I was kind of not so much surprised, but... It was not a good day for Trump supporters. It yeah. didn't look good. It didn't sound good. It's not defensible. But I'm still comparing someone who said some nasty things to a woman that has done nasty things. And again, the, the, best, the best reply here would not have been that. The best reply would have been, Donald Trump did some really bad things. He said some really bad things. And then, and then the follow-up would have to be, so why'd you vote for him? Said because he was better than Hillary, right? That's the end of it, right? That's, that's how you actually do that argument. You should watch the entire six-minute segment because there's a way to break down interviews with people like Trevor Noah. Trevor Noah doesn't really know what he's talking about on a lot of these issues, but you have to be in attack mode all the time. And the goal of comedians like Noah is to put you on the defensive. And if they can put you on the defensive, they win. This is what lefty hosts like to do. Your goal is to go on offense against them. Uh, and uh, this is one of the reasons why they don't like to have me on these sorts of shows very often. Um, but it's, but it, it is informative to watch these sorts of interviews go forward. There was one point where they were talking about Black Lives Matter, and she said Black Lives Matter is like the KKK. And there is some truth to the idea that Black Lives Matter is like the KKK in philosophy, but as far as the idea Black Lives Matter is not lynching people, right? I mean, Black Lives Matter is, uh, is, is, has a philosophy that suggests that America is, is victimizing them on the basis of race, and therefore they get to engage in activities that are counterproductive. Right? The KKK also said we were being victimized by black people on the basis of race, and therefore we get to be violent. That's bad. It's not a comparison I would make, by the way. I don't, I don't think Black Lives Matter and KKK are exactly the same thing. I really don't. I think that there, there are people uh, who have the same philosophy as the KKK on the left, but I don't think that Black Lives Matter is it. I think Black Lives Matter is a different brand of crap. I think Black Lives Matter is bad for a variety of reasons, which I've discussed. I think that the rioters who are associated with Black Lives Matter are engaging in tremendous violence. But comparing those things is a bit dicey because then you open yourself up to what Noah did. And what Noah did is he said, well, you know, the KKK lynched people and they were brutally racist. And then that forces Tommy Lahren to either exaggerate what Black Lives Matter is doing on the one hand or to, or to reduce what KKK did on the other. And that's, that's really not a smart tactic. Um, but again, I think that it's important that you prep for these things, obviously, more than, than some people do before they go on national TV. Okay, time for the mailbag. So we'll do a few entries in the mailbag here. Uh, and, uh, and again, if you're, if you're live at Daily Wire, uh, then you can, you, can submit to, uh, you, you can submit to us right now. And if you're a subscriber, this is why you should subscribe, because now you get to talk with me and be my bestest, bestest friend, just like you've always wanted to be. Okay. Maxwell writes, Ben, I listen to your podcast a lot. I can definitely say I've learned a lot about both the left and the right in America from listening. I did a project on the Israel-Palestine conflict last year. I was somewhat frustrated at the end because there doesn't seem to be a viable solution in sight. That's correct. There is no viable solution in sight. There will be no viable solution until one side decides they don't want to murder the other side. That's the Palestinians. Today, Mahmoud Abbas said he would never, never 
you know, under any circumstances, acknowledge the existence of the state of Israel, you can't make peace with that. The best that Israel can hope for is security. Okay, Ali writes, what is your favorite holiday? Well, as a Yudin, as, as a member of the Jews, my personal favorite holiday is Sukkot. I love Sukkot. That's the festival of booths. That's the one where we build the booth and we sit outside and it's really nice and it's very beautiful. And my daughter helps me decorate um, the, the sukkah. Um, and uh, it's just, uh, it's, it, you wave the, the lulav and the esrog for, for people who don't know what that is. And, and esrog is basically, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a fruit that looks like a lemon, basically, and, and the lulav is a palm branch. Um, and uh, it's, it's a very beautiful holiday for a variety of reasons, um, but that is my favorite holiday. Passover is up for it also. Passover is fantastic, and I, I sort of vary between them. Sukkot is happier, but Passover may be more meaningful to me personally. Um, retelling of the Exodus, the Haggadah, is, is an amazing document. Okay, Jeremy writes, Hi, Ben. There's a lot of talk about electors on December 19th switching from Trump to voting Hillary. Is that an actual possibility? No, it isn't. Most of these states have laws that bind the electors to the vote, uh, and, that's what they, and that's what they stick to. Ricardo is asking, my thoughts on gay conversion therapy. Um, my thought is that the state has no role in telling parents what they can and cannot do with their children unless they're doing actual physical harm to their children. Gay conversion therapy um, is, uh, it depends on the kind of therapy that you're talking about. Some people think that, you know, that means electroshock therapy. Obviously, I'm against. I don't think that you should electrically shock children because of their sexual inclinations. <laughs> Duh, right? As far as, the, as far as the notion that sexual activity is malleable or sexual desire is malleable, I find it, frankly, amazing that the left believes that it isn't because the left is constantly telling us that it is. The left wants it both ways. On the one hand, you'll see every movie that's ever been produced is always some girl who heretofore has been straight and then spots a beautiful woman across the room and suddenly is a lesbian, right? But it never works the other way. It's never a lesbian who's, who's a lesbian, and then she says, wait a second, maybe I'm straight. That actually happens in real life all the time. Sexuality is a lot more fluid than the left wants to make it out to be. It's also a lot more fluid than the right wants to make it out to be. Sexuality and sexual orientation and sexual activity, all of these things Behavior is always malleable because you have a choice to engage in a behavior. Desire is not nearly as malleable. But the idea that it doesn't change over time or it doesn't evolve over time or that you can't take activities that change it, that's just – it's counter science. It's actually counter science. It's not true. right? Even Kinsey, who's the father of sort of leftism when it comes to sexual ethics and morality, even he acknowledged that there was what he called the Kinsey scale, which is the sliding scale of sexual orientation, which means that some people are more lesbian than others, more gay than others. But there are people who you would look at and assume they're gay, and they're not, and there are people who you would assume are straight or gay. So th this whole thing is a little bit too pat, and everybody gets very pat about it because the left wants to enshrine homosexuality – as an, as an unchanging absolute standard, and no one, could, no one can ever be gay and then start acting in a straight fashion, they don't hold the same standard with regard to straight people. Straight people can be gay anytime they want to be. Okay, Adam writes, if Trump manages to actually build the wall, do you think the Democrats will make it part of their platform to tear down the wall and frame it as a civil rights endeavor similar to tearing down the Berlin Wall? No, I don't. I think that would be a very difficult argument to make, that we should tear down the wall with Mexico. Uh, that's, it, it's one thing to call it civil rights when you're trying to allow people to escape a communist country to freedom. It's another thing when you're saying the United States has to have borders that we can enforce. You know, if Trump were to say that the wall were to just keep out all immigrants, period, I think then it would become more of an issue. But if you're talking about just we have to make sure that we know who's coming in the country, that seems utterly inarguable to me, which is why it's relatively popular. Nathan says, hello, Ben. Have you heard the accusations from the left on Pence that he once supported the use of shock conversion therapy on homosexuals? What are your thoughts on the use of conversion therapy? Okay, I just answered conversion therapy. Um, again, it depends on the type of therapy. Uh, as long as you're not doing harm to the child, then it's none of your business what a parent does with their kid. And the idea that you as a state get to determine how a parent treats their child. Listen, many kids are disturbed by their own sexuality. Okay, this happens a lot. Okay, the idea that a 12-year-old kid you know, starts having gay feelings and then goes to mom and dad and says, I don't, want to, I don't want to have these feelings. Why am I having these? And the parent has to say, well, deal with it. Now you're gay. That's, you know, that, I'm sorry, but that's not your judgment. It isn't your call. It isn't. And these are tough conversations, but it's not as tough a conversation when I say it's none of your damn business how a parent raises his child so long as he's not hurting the child. And your subjective opinion of what hurts the child is not important. I need, objective sh I need an objective showing of harm. Okay, that's all. Okay, as far as, uh, as far as Pence and shock therapy, this has been widely debunked. I think Snopes even debunked this one, so you should check that out. I'll dig up the, the statistics and uh, – well, not the, I'll dig up the story uh, next week. 
Uh, Steven says, hey, Ben, huge fan. I'm a college student. I've been really surprised the national debt isn't the most important issue in the public forum. I understand it doesn't grab headlines like bashing Trump does, but why do you think this basically went undiscussed? Because both sides are fine with blowing up the national debt. That's the answer. It used to be that we blew up the national debt as an issue routinely because Barack Obama was president. Now Trump is, and everybody stopped talking about the national debt. No one seems to care anymore, even though a lot of Trump's plans are it will have the impact of, of greatening, heightening the, the national debt you know, taking out trillions more dollars in loans, which is basically what they're suggesting to fund infrastructure projects as part and parcel of that. Anthony writes, Hey, Ben, Adderall, Ritalin, other amphetamines are commonly used at my college. Many people who are prescribed these ADD, ADHD medicines, in reality, they tend not to show symptoms of either of the two diseases. This seems to lead to the normalization of non-prescribed college students taking these kinds of medicines. I was wondering if you think ADD and ADHD are often overdiagnosed, and what are the effects of increased prescribing of these drugs? Um, as far as whether they're overdiagnosed, I think there are certain doctors who overdiagnose these things. Uh, to say it's broadly overdiagnosed, I can't say whether it's overdiagnosed in specific cases because I don't know the case. I know there are people who have been diagnosed, young kids particularly, not as much college students, but young boys are very often overprescribed Adderall for ADHD or Ritalin for ADHD, and they're just being boys. They're just hyperactive boys because boys are hyperactive. They have testosterone flowing through their little bodies and they never stop moving. Um, but I am of the opinion that you should avoid putting children on drugs as long as you possibly can. I'm not anti-drug in general, you know, as far as the idea that if somebody needs help, they should get the help they need. But you should be very careful about the use of prescription medications. And I think that generally, uh, as a society, we've become far too loose with prescription medications. Jacob writes, Ben, my long-term girlfriend and I both want to have children in the future. She also intends to keep working. How do you handle raising two small children while both you and your wife work? Are you concerned about your children missing out on some of the benefits of a healthy family as a result of being raised in part by a nanny, au pair, or daycare? Thanks, Jake. Yeah, of course. I mean, life is a balance, and you have to decide, you know, what are the impacts on this thing? My wife, you know, pretty much every day we have the conversation as to whether she should quit being a doctor and stay home with the kids, really. It's a frequent conversation in our household not because she doesn't love being a doctor, she does, but because she wants to be home with the kids more. And one of the goals of her being a doctor in the field she's in and not being a surgeon, for example, is so that she can be home a little bit earlier, so that when she's done with her residency, she can work part-time if she chooses to do so and be home with the kids more. Uh, you know, I think that women should have a career because I think it's important, particularly if you're married, that you should be able to support your kids if, if something happens to your husband. Let's say you have a situation where the husband has a job, the wife doesn't, and then the husband dies that's a bad situation. You obviously want to have the woman capable of, of taking care of the kids financially. That's an important thing to me personally. It's also important to me that women be as fulfilled as they want to be. Um, but we, may, we take great care in the fact that our kids uh, have, have solid care. And that means that when I go home after the show, I spend a lot of time with my children during the day. I'm lucky enough I'm able to do that. I'm able to tailor my schedule around my kids. My dad, uh, takes care of my kids a lot. My parents live a mile away. We specifically chose to live a mile away from my parents so that my parents can come over and help. When I get up at 5.30 in the morning to go work my, and my wife is already out of the house because she has to leave at 4 in the morning, then my mom actually comes over at 5.30. In the, I have wonderful parents. My mom comes over at 5.30 in the morning and then when the kids wake up, she helps take care of them. My dad comes over and then drives my kid to school. I mean, this, we have a support network. So all I'm saying here is that life, of course, entails balance. Don't buy into the lie you can have everything because you can't, but you do have to make plans based on the decisions that you're making that are best for your kids and also best for you. Because if you're unhappy, you're not going to be a great parent either. You need to be happy, but you also need to make sure you're around your kids enough. Uh, and this is obviously a balance you have to draw for yourself. Final one. Joseph says, on Tuesday, when discussing the culture, you laid out that the women in pop culture are not good role models for our sisters' wives and daughters. The only people they really empower are perverts. My question is, are there any performers in musical pop culture that are fighting for morals? If not, is it possible for conservatives to produce one? Uh, well, I mean, to be fair, I don't know every figure in pop culture, so it's hard for me to come up with ones who I think are great. I only see the most prominent ones, and I don't think they're a particularly uh, good influence. I think some are worse than others, by the way. I think that, for example, Adele is not nearly as bad as a lot of the other ones because Adele doesn't trade on her sex appeal nearly as much as she's, she trades on her talent, which is what she should be doing. Um, and Adele has said that when she, that she wants to take a break from her career to have babies— um, You'd have to, as far as individuals who I think are role models, first of all, I don't think celebrities should be your role models in general. I don't. I think that the people who should be your role models are your parents, hopefully, uh, maybe your religious leader, maybe friends that you admire, people who you know on a personal level. Uh, even historical heroes can be role models. 
Um, but I think that to put your faith in men and not in God is a mistake. So the people who best reflect the principles that you like, those should be the people who are your role models, not you find a role model and then follow them wherever the principles lead, which, as you may have noticed, has become a running theme for The Ben Shapiro Show. So we'll talk about that more next week. Have a wonderful weekend. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. This show is brought to you by Helix Sleep. Sleep, especially as you get older, is so critical, but no two people sleep alike. That's why Helix offers several different mattress models, each designed for specific sleep positions and preferences. Go to helixsleep.com dailywire and take their sleep quiz to find the mattress made for you. Whether you're a side sleeper, a stomach sleeper, a hot sleeper, or a cold sleeper, Helix has just the mattress for you. I took the Helix Sleep Quiz and was matched with a Helix Midnight Mattress because I wanted a medium firmness and I sleep on my side. I am sleeping so much better on my new mattress. Don't want to take my word for it? Well, Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Take the quiz and order the perfect mattress right to your door, shipped for free. It's so quick and fun to unbox, and you won't believe how well you'll sleep. All Helix mattresses come with a 100-night trial and a 10- or 15-year warranty. Helix even offers financing options and flexible payment plans. A great night's sleep is never far away. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and a free bedroom bundle for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com dailywire and use code HELIXPARTNER20. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. That's helixsleep.com slash dailywire, code helixpartner20.